Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Jennifer Fagelson has a passion for learning coupled with the practical application of knowledge. She has a gift for turning science into sound bites and studying the relationship between body, mind, and spirit. As the founder of the Lasting Foundational Wellness and the Seven Steps to Take You There program, she finds great fulfillment in empowering professionals and families to be able to walk their talk. This program is the result of her 12-year journey to health, coupled with her university education and national accreditation as a certified health education specialist. Now, I have worked with Jennifer personally, and she has been my foot zone therapist and just therapist in general. She is an amazing woman. She has incredible spiritual gifts, and I have been totally blessed by the things that she has chosen to focus on in her life, which is healing and helping other people to access healing as well. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, Jennifer, and I would like you to begin by telling us what is integrated medicine? Thanks, Tracy. I'm excited to be here too. Thank you for this invitation and this opportunity. Integrated medicine is really bringing the best of both worlds of medical knowledge into one forum. Traditionally, we've had Western medicine, which is allopathic medicine, and Eastern medicine, which could be Ayurvedic or Chinese medicine or all of these different ancient healing arts into one forum with the client as the center. Integrated medicine focuses on the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of the individual to look deeper into what drives what where it starts, and how to help meet individuals where they present with whatever's going on and help them take a deeper look into that connection and advance their their journey to wellness. And how did you get into integrated medicine? That's a really long story, but to, to bring it more concise, I tended to be in my youth and in my family of origin more Western-based. Whenever we got sick, we went to the doctor immediately. And usually it was a penicillin shot that was going to cure everything. As I grew and became more mature in my outlooks and questioning about how to keep my body strong, I actually inherited, when my grandmother died, a very thick binder, probably two inches of her holistic studies. She took a class from a master master herbalist. And as I started looking for answers to my own issues that weren't actually being met just from a yearly physical or maybe a prescription, I started looking deeper into herbs and more of the Chinese medicine, if you will, and found a lot of answers there. So it's a result of my own journey 
And my education, both in Western medicine with the health sciences education, and then with my training in some of the more Eastern traditions like foot zone therapy or sound therapy, just integrated medicine that I picked up as I worked at the Advanced Health Clinic in Farmington as the lifestyle education director. For somebody who may not know what a foot zone therapist is, will you explain what that is? That's a great question. Foot zone therapy, we don't know really where it originated. The idea that the body has meridians or pathways of energy, or even some would say light that run through the entire being. They end at the hands and the feet. So the Eastern tradition is meridians. In the Western discipline, we look at the nervous system and how axons and neurons fire to send pain signals and wake up signals and go to sleep signals using hormones and all other kinds of chemicals within the body. Those nerve endings or meridians, if you will, end at the hands and the feet and stimulating those areas, not with some people say a foot massage, but as you know, Tracy, with foot zone therapy, It's often not a super pleasant experience because there can be some discomfort involved because what happens when there's an imbalance in the body, that imbalance will show up on the bottom of the feet. And so what what a foot zone practitioner does is look for a little bit of a discomfort or even when you're talking about the nervous system, you'll have lactic acid build up along those systems that will present on the bottom of the feet. And because meridians and the nervous system run through every body system and organ, you can kind of see where there are some imbalances or some blocked lactic acid work with that to help the client and educate the client in some things that they could try, which is, you know, really blasting the the program, the seven-step program that I walk clients through. It is not a diagnostic tool. We're not licensed to diagnose, treat, right, or cure disease as a physician, but we can educate. And there's some fun things that happen when you're working on the feet. The feet are quite remarkable in many, on many levels. And is there anything in particular that you have learned for yourself because of foot zoning that you've been able to detect certain problems from the feet or being able to clear up problems that for yourself personally? Uh, Yes, personally, that was part of my journey to health and wellness. What they say with foot zone therapy is that the feet are the gateway to the four bodies of health. So we're talking physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, which is kind of interesting. But when you're looking at holistic medicine or integrated medicine or taking that kind of an approach, that can be a great gateway. I like to say that the eyes are the windows to the soul and the feet are the pathway in. The definition being the spirit and the body are the soul of man. Yeah, I love that. I was going to ask you about the extremes that people can kind of go to in Western medicine or in homeopathic and that the integrated medicine is to bring both of them together so that both can benefit from each other. So how have you balanced those, the extremism that, ex- that has existed and that I feel like is starting to rebalance, but how have you balanced that yourself? No matter where you go, either as a more Eastern persuasion or Western, you're going to find bad apples, if you will, anywhere. 
But I think the safe ground is evidence-based practice. So if we've got science-based practice, and there are some fun science-based things that maybe a little seem fringe, but when you see the results and more and more medical professionals from some of the greatest universities are starting to delve into these different practices, working with the senses or frequencies in the human body. So it's a developing science that's very exciting to watch. What's something that excites you? What excites me most is watching a light turn on in someone's face when they get a principle or a concept that they know is going to change the way they feel. I believe that knowledge is power. If you can provide knowledge, then you can accelerate an individual's journey to health and wellness. Now, with that, there's a caveat, which would be another statement, which is wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. And sometimes that's where a good practitioner comes in. A good practitioner will never get in between the individual and their agency or what I call their higher self or their spirit or their intelligence or their gut feeling, but becomes a guide on the side and an educator. So when we can empower individuals with knowledge, we can help them accelerate their journey to wellness, which is really the foundational Um, piece of lasting foundational wellness and the seven steps to take you there. It's foundational principles that when incorporated and understood and applied, which is the definition of wisdom, can bring good results and lasting results. Tell us about DNA, detoxification, nourishment, and adaptation. I'm glad you asked that. I love the term DNA, first coined at the clinic. Because what we learn from this integrated approach is that a body that is detoxified, nourished correctly, and provided with the support it needs to change, which is the definition of adaptation, will begin to heal. The body is designed to heal. The body knows how to heal. Good physicians know this. Bad physicians know this. All of us understand, I mean, if we cut our hand and we clean it out, detoxify, cover it with a bandage or apply some uh, essential oils or neosporin, depending on which persuasion you're from, the natural power of the body will do the healing. And that is also a case in the mental and emotional realm. There's lots of toxic and pollution that fly around in our heads. We don't pay attention to our thoughts often. But thoughts always precede emotions. If you've got some toxic emotions, putting a space between the thought and the response or the stimulus and the response can bring a lot of enlightenment. When you can identify where the toxicity is coming from, you can make a change. For example, in step two in the program, which is learning to listen, process, and prove, learning to listen to your body, learning to listen to your thoughts, learning to listen to your spirit is very helpful and insightful. Journaling, using I statements, like I feel blank, when blank, because blank, can help uncover some of this and start unraveling these threads that can give us clues to why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and what might be causing this. And then we go to work to learn how to detoxify, nourish, and then watch the change happen with the proper support. The conclusion is that your DNA, can it be rewired? Absolutely. The 
the idea that DNA is set <clears throat> is an old notion that is still perpetuated today. It's not true. There have been many scientists like Bruce Lipton and others, even in the great universities that have watched a protein strand turn on. The fact is we get two sets of DNA, one from our mother, one from our father. And the empowering and beautiful truth that I love to teach is that we decide from our lifestyle, basically, which turn on and which will become the blueprint for what we're dealing with, whether we're talking diabetes, heart disease, or even mental illness, that we have control, so much more control than sometimes we like to admit, or that many of us understand. We have a lot more control by lifestyle. And that's why I love educating and helping people with lifestyle. So tell us about the other foundational principles you've discovered for lasting wellness. Well, there are seven. The first one, I'll just briefly go through them. I won't spend time. Then we'll come back to step one. So step one is just breathe. Uh, step two is learning to listen, process, and prove. Step three is living water. Step four is nurture and nourish. Step five is the gift of movement. Step six is the art of stillness. And step seven is silent, sacred sleep. So you can kind of see that those foundational principles are nothing new. And they're not new in Western medicine or in Eastern. These foundational principles are found throughout every healing modality, culture, um, system, worldwide, anciently and modern. But what I love about empowering individuals and this more of an integrated approach, this holistic approach, body, mind, spirit, is that rather than just giving these principles a nod, we're giving them an embrace and we're getting to know what does this mean, body, mind, and spirit. For example, with step one, just breathe. Breathing is the first thing we do as we enter this realm and it's the last thing we do as we leave. But in between, we don't think about it very much at all. There's a really powerful book that's been a New York Times bestseller called Breath that I have loved. And it talks about the science of breathing. It's a fabulous and fascinating book. And what they are finding scientifically is that more than anything else, it is lung capacity that determines longevity. Wow, isn't that interesting? And that mouth breathing is causing a lot of the problems in our society. And it's fueling lots of ill health. Just a little look into some of the things I teach is that when you breathe through your nose, nitric oxide, which is a big buzzword right now in the health industry, is produced in the turbinates right up here in your face. If you breathe through your mouth, it bypasses those and no nitric oxide. So all of the benefits of nitric oxide that are cardiovascular and anti-inflammatory and all of those wonderful things, we can produce ourselves if we just breathe right. And for the normal individual, everybody has a perfect breathing pattern that's uniquely their own. And as we talk about meditation and we go into step six, which is the art of stillness, and we learn to learn how to breathe in tune with our bodies we can start to feel the difference that breathwork has. And this is a coin from the book. There are as many different ways to breathe as there are things to eat. 
And so some of the breathwork focuses on breathing for anxiety release. There's an emergency reset breath that where your diaphragm is connected to your brainstem. And Andrew Huberman teaches this. Um, Huberman, Huberman Labs, great plug for him, a neuroscientist, fabulous individual. You can reset your fight or flight response just by breathing. There's breathing for weight loss. <laughs> There's breathing to stimulate different parts of your body to aid in meditation and connection. Pranayama breathing, basically if we have yogas, yogis out there that love to do yoga, that pranayama. I love that word because prana in the Sanskrit language means life force. Wow, what is that life force? I think of it as the breath of life. So coming from Christianity, we know that God gave Adam the breath of life. What is that breath? And we know all of us have experienced it and we continue to breathe. But when we focus on the breath, the idea is that focusing on the breath aligns the body, mind, and spirit and allows us to find that peace where our frontal lobe opens and we're able to process better. Our heart rate slows, our breathing becomes more rhythmic and all kinds of beautiful things happen in that space, in that place. Meditation has been getting a lot of press, beginning with the work of John Kabat-Zinn and all that he has done. So I think breath work is kind of the wave of the future. Wow. Can I breathe and lose weight? Yes. (laughs) Do I have to have discipline in my eating? Yes. (laughs) Do I have to drink enough water? Yes. But that's the idea is letting those principles work together and incorporating them at a step at a time that allow us to move forward in our journey and chart our own path while learning what those mile markers mean, detoxification, nourishment, and then watching the body change and evolve. Is there any uh, quick technique you could teach us regarding breath? Is there any little like flipping the switch technique that you utilize? Yes. And this is from Andrew Huberman. but it's like an emergency reset breath for anxiety. And I I need to educate because I'm an educator, right? So I'm going to teach you something. The nerve endings that stimulate the fight or flight response that sends all the energy to our extremities are in the upper lobe of our lungs. So oftentimes when we get a panic attack, we tend to start breathing really shallow and only in the top part of our lungs. If we keep doing that, we're going to eventually pass out because we're going to hyperventilate. The neurons or the nerve endings that initiate the the rest and digest response are in the lower part of the lobes of our lungs. So filling the lungs to capacity will stimulate that response in the nervous system. So what it would look like would be two inhales and then a release. Um, If you really want to get into sound therapy and frequency therapy and emotional release, it would sound like this. Ah. So you are giving a frequency or a voice to what you're releasing, which kind of moves us into a little bit of, you know, sound therapy and things like that. Everybody remember that. Yes. And you're going to drop your jaw and you're going to. Yeah. So one of the questions that 
I mean, I didn't even know about the the lungs. I didn't know. I mean, that makes sense, right? The upper versus the lower lobes of the lungs. That's incredible. That's what happens when you're around Jennifer, guys. She teaches you new things all the time. What about, do you want to go through, we talked a little bit about learn, process, improve, and some sentence frames you use to help yourself process, like learn, process, improve a principle. And what does that even mean? So, yeah, so it's listen, process, improve. Oh, it's listen. Okay. Yes. So learning to listen to our bodies, our minds, and our spirits and differentiate what part of me is this, right? Is, is my body telling me something? If I eat this and I sneeze every single time, <laughs> like my husband with cinnamon, the body's telling you something. We, our bodies will, if we start honing into cues or if every time I eat something, I start getting drainage down the back of my throat or I'm having to clear it. Mucus is forming. Wow. Maybe I have an intolerance. Maybe there's an allergic response going on. What's it connected to? Oftentimes it's, there's an emotion tied to it. And that's another lesson for another day. But our body, those allergic responses are often the body giving us a cue. Okay. This isn't working for me. And sometimes because we really, really like it, I would pick another thing. I'm not going to villainize dairy here, but we could go to the dairy because I love the taste, but I hate the way I feel after I eat it. The body's going, hey, sister, I'm not really jiving with this. I don't have the enzymes to break this down. It's causing some imbalances throughout the digestive system. It's maybe fueling inflammation. Those are things to learn to listen to your body. Likewise, your mind, how we talked about about identifying those incorrect beliefs. Is this a belief that has just been passed on through the generations that I haven't even ever looked at? Is it a voice of someone in my past, a sibling, a critical voice, maybe a bully on the playground? And at some point, did that script start playing in my mind? And if we can breathe, and I love breathing is first for a reason, because it helps us connect and differentiate often between those different parts of our being. Where did this come from? Journaling is a big part of step two. Whenever you pick up a pencil or a writing instrument, it's like you automatically connect your body, mind, and spirit. And sometimes emotions are way too big to fit through an instrument and into the point of a pencil or a pen. And that is very understandable. But moving the body and moving the hands can help move emotion out of the body. That's why yoga can be so powerful. Why do we want to move the emotion? Like we've talked about before, emotions have a frequency. They have a substance. It's a subtle frequency. And up to this point, we haven't been able to measure those subtle energies. Now we can, which is kind of cool. There are machines that will actually do that. Squid magnometer is an example (laughs) that can actually measure the lower frequencies that come out of the hands of a therapeutic touch practitioner. Uh, It can measure those. It's the same kind of frequencies they use in those bone stimulator machines that help. They've learned that you don't blast the body, but subtle energies, it's kind of like by small and simple means, that's kind of how I think of it, is our great things brought to pass. Well, the body works on the small level, on the micro level that we can't measure often. So those frequencies that they can measure with the squid machine, they've actually realized that they're beneficial. So they've incorporated some of those like into bone stimulating machines and things like that. 
But coming out of the hands of a practitioner, intuitively, the practitioner knows, their body knows how to change the frequencies. And they change. So in that human touch, that therapeutic touch, which is really where the art of healing started long time ago. And even in the spiritual realm, when we talk about faith healings and laying on of hands, there's a science to it that we have lost along the way that can be pretty exciting to learn about. The power of the human touch, the therapeutic, the connection between humans is critical for healing. Yes. And it also releases oxytocin, which is a powerful chemical in our bodies that can start to heal us from the inside out. Lots of these chemical responses from human interaction is is powerful medicine. Will you share the fill in the blank strategy you use when you do identify an emotion? Yes, this is not my own. This has been used for a long, long time, but they, they call them I statements. So just identifying, I mean, most of us, many of us don't learn how to identify what we're feeling. It's not a natural, not very many children come into the world. We feel emotion all the time. But stepping back and identifying it can be powerful because we, when we name an emotion, we take it from an ethereal realm into a concrete. And that's where we can really work with things. I feel blank. Fill in the blank. Do I feel anxious? Do I feel worried? That's where we kind of start to identify the primary emotions versus the secondary emotions. You know, the secondary emotions are usually fear and anxiety, but there's primary emotions. And that's what we're trying to bypass is to kind of get to those core emotions. Is it loneliness? Is it sadness? What is it longing for growth? Or, I mean, there are a lot of primary emotions, but when we can, we can start with the secondary, I feel blank, but what we're working for is what's that primary, what's driving it. And underneath that, so the second question is when, so I feel, name the emotion, when, wow, does this happen repeatedly or often? Is there a pattern here? So we're looking for patterns. This is definitely a hot button or a trigger. And when we live in families, we know each other's triggers. It's called meta-messaging. And so you can have a total stranger in a, in a room full of family members and the baby or Maybe the the jokester or the person who just likes to stick it to the siblings will make a comment that seems totally benign and the whole family goes on high alert because they know the response that's going to come out of one one of them (laughs) because of this, this comment. That's where you uncover the pattern. Wow. Is this happening repeatedly? Okay. So maybe I can journal about this and think a little bit more about this. And then the because is the third blank that you fill in. And that's the place where we learn as individuals and even in behavioral therapy that we take responsibility for our emotions. That is a seat that can never be the victim seat. It needs to be the driver's seat where I feel this when this because that blank doesn't look like because you always do this and it means you did this, 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 right? You're giving somebody the reins to your life. So taking back the reins responsibility for the emotion, but also understanding that our interactions with individuals and the things that drive bad behavior are usually deep unmet need. And so identifying our needs 
or the needs of those around us. You know, I love the, you know, the love languages, Chapman, all of those that, you know, came out in the, was it 90s probably? Those are some fun things to explore. We talked about the third step is living water and then nurture and nourish. Will you define what nurture and nourish means? Well, nurture and nourish, the name is very intentional because to nurture is more than just to feed physically. And when we talk about and think about nurturing ourselves, what does that look like? Oftentimes, it means being a little more gentle with our approach to ourselves. It means when we identify that shaming talk like, I should do this, I need to do this, oh, have to do this, that is a violation of our personal agency and we do it to ourselves. And that automatically, when you talk about that emotions have frequency, so do words. And the need and have and should, they're more shaming in their approach to ourselves. And whenever we approach something from a negative frequency, now you'll notice that I didn't say bad or good. So moral judgments are not for emotions. Emotions just are. They can be positive or they could be negative. And the reason we love positive emotions is because at our core, we are pure light. We are pure positive energy. And so we love the positives. They're our jam. But the negatives, emotions, don't jive with our core. Even at a cellular level, Cells in a Petri dish will gravitate to a positive charge. Isn't that interesting science? Wow. On a scientific basis, you'd say, okay, so that is proof to me, Tracy, that at our core, when we talk about that body, mind, and spirit, we are good. And we are positive. Um, That and looking into the eyes of a newborn is proof positive that at our core, we are light. And we love things that feed that light within us and that positive energy. And really, when you even when you look at all the foundational principles, it's all light. We're gathering light through the air that we breathe, through the thoughts that feed us and nurture us, through the water that we drink that is clear and pure and structured and hopefully maybe a little bit alkaline, right? Um, The food that we eat, it's the light energy. It's the photon that hits the leaf of the plant, causes a chemical reaction to bring the sugars to the surface. Things start to change. It buds and then it forms a fruit. And then we are eating the result of that photosynthesis, which is light energy into our bodies. That's why live fresh whole is so powerful on so many levels. It's all light. And here's the thing, you introduced me and actually so Jenny Orton and you both introduced me to the talk by Larry R. Lawrence, The Light of the Perfect Day. The very first part of this says, would you be surprised to learn that your success in life depends upon how much light you gain while you are here? Success is not how much money you make or how many medals you win or how much fame you achieve. The real objective of our existence is to gain light. Thank you. Amen. I, this is true. I know this is true. It's what we're about. And we may have these surface behaviors or we may have these physical symptoms that present. And 
we could go into, you know, the law of transmutation that everything's in the process of either coming into or going out of a state of physical existence. So when we're talking about these, when we're talking about illness or holistic medicine or that approach, there's usually an underlying emotion that's fueling it. Now, this has always been in the holistic approach, but not usually in Western medicine. But there have been some really important studies like adverse childhood events score. That was a study where they followed children into adulthood and they watched them and kept track of these adverse childhood events. And this was a huge population. This isn't just a little control group. This was like a big population. And what they noticed was trends in their physical manifestations of disease in later years, where they had very, very similar adverse childhood events. That's an emotional connection right there to the physical malady or whatever's gonna present. And so when we can uncover and start to understand that law of transmutation, that disease at the mental emotional realm will present at some point, can present as disease disease in the physical realm. We can start being proactive on a deeper level. I mean, so, hey, let's meditate. Let's breathe. Let's start getting in touch with those parts of ourselves we can't see, but we know are there. And need to be expressed or they need to be felt and properly so that they can be released yeah. and let go. So you, you talk about the gift of movement and then the art of stillness. And the last one is silent, sacred sleep. So tell us about sleep, silent, sacred sleep, and why it's so important to our health. There's so many reasons that we sleep that we don't even know. There is a great TED Talk that we'll reference in here that's called Why Do We Sleep? Um, and when we talk about sleep, it's super, super important. I think if we, it's, the statistics are, if we live to the age of 90, I think 32 of those years will be spent in sleep. Whoa, that's a big deal. And um, why is it, and the older, the younger we are and the older we are, the more sleep we need, right? So oftentimes we start school really early in the morning for these littles and even our, even our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, they need more sleep than they're getting, especially when they're staying up late to do homework. And so that can change a lot of things. The, the basic, one of the major players in sleep deprivation is hormone imbalance, but also mental illness. A lot of mental illness is preceded by sleep deprivation. It's one of the most inhumane types of war methods to break down prisoners is to let them drift off, barely get to that sleep, and then to wake them up with a loud noise. And if any of us have had that experience of obviously not in war, but as a new mom or with noisy siblings and trying to sleep and then a loud noise waking us up, you get a supercharge in the adrenals, you're grumpy, you'll probably hit the person next to you, <laughs> whatever happens, you instantly hit fight or flight. Sleep deprivation can be very harmful in so many ways. One of the main things it does is it starts to mess with the endocrine system, that pineal gland and the pituitary, all of those things that are, that are connected up in that brain start to kind of misfire. And just as a caveat, hormones affect everything and hormones change repeatedly throughout our lives. So if we're experiencing trouble getting to sleep or staying to sleep, there are things we can look at 
We have a body clock. We have different systems that turn on at different times of the day. If you're perpetually waking up at a certain time, let's, you know, look at Chinese medicine and see which meridian and which, which organs may be causing that imbalance. It might be hormone related. I remember having a new baby and feeling like I would never be normal again. And laundry was piled up and children I didn't know uh, if I was being a good mom. And I remember calling one of my dearest friends. Her name is Sammy. And I was kind of lamenting about, you know, life was not going the way I wanted to. And I just felt really hopeless and helpless. And, you know, she said the most, um, it was just intuitive. And it was exactly, you know, do you ever have, you have some of those friends who just know what to say. And all she said is, Jennifer, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And I thought, wow, that is profound. And she is the queen of one-liners. She's just very insightful. And and I could step back and go, you're right. I am so, so tired. (laughs) And so I know that my courage will come back with a good night's sleep. So there are lots of things we can do. Sometimes it's amino acid deficiency and at the advanced health clinic, we work with that. And there are lots of reasons that sometimes we're not sleeping, but the rule of thumb for sleeping is quiet, dark, cool. Don't sleep with technology. Don't sleep with the TV on. Um, Blue light. We know, you know, blue light can affect those different things. Um, And regular, consistent schedule. Also, don't work where you sleep. (laughs) Um, When you walk into your sanctuary, it should speak that. It should speak stillness. It should speak rest, relaxation, creating an environment, maybe some aromatherapy, dim the lights a half hour before bed, lots of things that you can do to improve your sleep. The book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, his book, Why We Sleep, and then he does a masterclass also called Why We Sleep. And it it is seriously fascinating (laughs) and so incredibly important to get good sleep. I mean, that is when we heal. One thing that happens to me that I'm so fascinated by is that I start to feel my subconscious turning on before before I go to bed. So I, I see my dreams marching in. I'm like, oh, they're coming. You're so lucky. That's so awesome. Strange. It hasn't hasn't happened in less in the last few weeks. I started to notice that I can feel my subconscious being like, and I'm getting ready to go to sleep. And my subconscious, I can start feeling the dreams coming, which is interesting. That's so that's remarkable, Tracy. Because really, the science behind it is when we are supine the trap door to the subconscious opens. (laughs) And so that's why we lay down to sleep. It's also a time for emotional processing. It's time to turn short-term memories into long-term. It's time to work through some of this stuff that needs that creative brain to work through. Yeah. Now I have had a personal experience with Jennifer and I've shared this previously about, I shared this in Seidel Schultz episode and Specifically, we talked about how I had been with you and you had invited me to make a sound when I was experiencing an emotion and I was trying to release something and I was not open to it. And I finally was like, fine, I'll make a noise. And it was much higher as a high frequency noise. 
from that, I was able to have an emotional processing or an emotional release. Will you tell us what you've learned about sound therapy? Well, most of what I've learned has come from the work of Mitchell Gaynor, uh, The Healing Power of Sound, who was an oncologist who came across this therapy almost by accident because one of his patients was a monk and he was using um, a singing bowl alongside his therapy, his chemotherapy, his radiation to, to help himself heal in between treatments. And as he was in this institution or this, this hospital, he noticed that the rest of his patients were congregating by this man's door at night to listen to the healing power of sound. And so he became curious and he started studying it. Frequency therapy is, uh, there's just some really fun, fun things. The science of cymatics in using frequency to obliterate or fracture virus and bacteria is a real science that they're starting to look into, right? But when we talk about the healing power of sound, we're talking about the frequencies that speak to us, that we love. We use sound therapy all the time, whether we know it or not. A lot of us just turn on the radio or we have our favorite group or we listen to an orchestra. The human voice is so unique and because it can imitate almost every frequency. Well, a very high range. Obviously we're not whales. The dog whistle is kind of beyond most of our our vocal <laughs> prowess. But when we hear a beautiful sound, whether it's in nature, the rushing of great water, talk about light, or even scriptural, the voice of the Lord is the sound of great rushing waters. Wow. I've stood at Niagara. I have felt that power. That is frequency. So when we talk about frequency or light or color, even those or sound, it is all frequency, different vibrations. We know that Everything's in a constant state of vibration and different frequencies resonate with different parts of the body. Wow. There's something interesting to study. When we are using sound therapy, we can help calm and quiet the nervous system. I have a lot of crystal bowls that I use just to play and enjoy, but also to help clients relax. When you strike a crystal bowl, photons are emitted. Whoa, there's some fun science. There's some light <laughs> energy. Whether we're talking the elements of the earth that have the ability to hold and direct frequency, for example, crystal. How many of us have a crystal quartz watch? And what's the big deal about that? It's because they hold and maintain a frequency. They're going to be precise in their timekeeping. Um, that's the frequency element. But depending on the tone that's emitted from a crystal singing bowl, it can resonate with different parts of the body. It can help us release emotion because if emotions have frequency and we're talking about the law of mutual resonance, which is another fun thing we, we study. Um, basically what you send out, you attract. That's the law of mutual resonance. We can call it karma in one genre. We can call it the law of the harvest with a Christian flair. We understand that what we send out, we attract. But the human body does that, or instruments do that. If you're holding a violin here and you pluck the, the G-string on the violin and you pluck it on the other, and without touching the other one, it will start to vibrate. You can do it with guitars. You can do it with the human body. 
once we've listened to a beautiful, okay, so one of my favorite pieces of music is Itzhak Perlman playing Schindler's List. His violin is magic and it's beautiful. And it touches the strings of the heart. That is emotional release. We have felt it when we use sound therapy, wherever we choose to do it, whether singing in a choir or, you know, listening to rap, which stimulates a different part of the body. (laughs) So it's all what we choose, right? The higher, the higher the tone or the vibration, the higher it hits on the human body. That's kind of interesting too, some fun science there. But emotions actually will seem to come to the surface with a specific frequency or a sound that wouldn't present. And what I like to, what I like to think and teach is that when an emotion presents itself, it's ready to be released. We don't want to step emotion. We want to give it a voice and learn from it and pass it on if it's positive or let it go if it's not. And you have talked, I mean, you and I are talking, which is basically a type of sound therapy as, as well, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, that's why we process a lot through our words and through what we share with each other. Right, I love that. And can you give us a connection that you've made to sound and hearing the voice of the Lord? Yes. Well, many people will connect with nature. For me, the first time I saw the ocean, I was in my teens and it was raining and it was in Washington. And my dad, which tomorrow is the anniversary of his death in 2006. So I have my dad on my mind anyway. He took me to the ocean. It was raining. I was overcome by the grandeur and the beauty of experiencing that. And I sat down on a log and I just started to weep. And my sweet dad, it, he was standing in the rain and I knew he wanted to go. And I knew he had shown me the ocean to just be so kind. And then all of a sudden his teenage daughter is just, has all of a sudden had this really emotional reaction. And he just kind of sat there and looked at me for a minute. And then he said, do you need some more time? And I said, I, I'm not ready to leave. And so he says, I'll be in the car. <laughs> but as I connected with that sound, it felt like I was coming home. And it brought up a lot of gratitude, but a lot of emotion. As a funny side note, I learned later, you know, how you look up your names and what their meaning is. Jennifer means white wave. Go figure. It was like I had come home, the waves were speaking to me, and I had a moment with the ocean that was deep and lasting. I even wrote a paper in college about my first experience with the ocean and what it felt like to hear it and see it for the first time. And so when I, in scripture reading and study, I came to those passages that the voice of the Lord is is the sound of great rushing water. I had a connection with that. I was like, oh, this is home. His voice is home to me. Oh, it's so beautiful. What is one of the biggest shifts that you have base, you have seen based on your choice to take responsibility for your health? Well, I believe we've kind of fallen into an incorrect tradition or model in our medical care or in our journey to health and wellness. All of us want to feel well, but we have fallen into 
a pattern of giving someone else the responsibility for this beautiful gift, this beautiful body, mind, and spirit that we've been given. Practitioners are important and they are gifted and educated and they can give good sound direction. But I am a big advocate of not checking your agency at the door of any clinic or medical establishment. You keep your agency with you and you take responsibility to learn about what you're being taught or what you're being prescribed. Discipline is something that's a dying art. And I love that the root of discipline is disciple. If we are unwilling to sacrifice some things in order to achieve something greater, that's going to be a problem. Discipline can be developed a step at a time. And when we start to see results, even with the tiniest change in lifestyle, even with learning how to breathe, it will spur us on to more discipline and more desire to learn and then to incorporate that learning to apply it, which is really the definition of wisdom. If we talked about at the front of this podcast that wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. Wow. So this journey to wellness can be a journey of education, of coming to know ourselves, coming to understand this body and the many amazing things that it can do. Yeah, it's amazing. Have you used sound therapy to process trauma or help other people to process trauma? That's a good question. And it's uh, it's a little bit of, so it'll be personal. I'm going to share a personal story here. I was just studying sound therapy and trying to figure out how, if, if there was a way to incorporate it into what I do. And my husband and I went to Hawaii. I had purchased a couple bowls and I was in my own study of how to use them and kind of some of the principles behind sound therapy and why vocalization is so powerful in releasing emotion. And we were headed up to a lavender farm and we were the third car back after a horrific accident where a gentleman had actually been on a moped and pulled under a delivery truck. We came upon that scene right after it happened. And as you can imagine, it was horrific. And it was something that you couldn't process visually because it was so graphic. And as is normal, when individuals come upon something that is so traumatic, both my husband and I in the car had a a verbal reaction. In fact, it was just, oh, like that. And then I noticed that I started having the effects of shock. And, you know, you study them, right? But when you feel them, it's different. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Okay, so I've had this response. My heart is racing. Then I started getting nauseous and then I started to shake. And all of those symptoms were there. And I thought, wow, this is an opportunity for a PTSD moment. Like this could totally, this emotion, I teach this, right? I need to process this. And shaking is a natural way the body processes trauma and it's a natural release. I asked my husband if he would pull over. Of course, he was happy to oblige. And then we heard the sirens that were coming because we were going to figure out what to do. Do we go back? We saw the people that had stopped, that had actually hit him. And my desire, my first response was, don't go back. You can't ever unsee that. And we realized that that was probably 
the case that they they weren't going to go back. But then my heart went to the, the, the man. And he was alone because people didn't want to get close. But he was gone. It was very apparent. He was gone. And so I asked my husband if we could have a prayer. And we did. And then the thought came into my mind, you know how to do, you know how to deal with this. <laughs> and so I said, honey, I know we've been at the ocean and you've heard me doing some, you know, vocalizing at the ocean, but I'm going to do it here in the car. And so I hope you're okay with it because that's great. Let's, you know, work with this. So I turned on some uh, singing bowl meditation and I put it on the speakers in the car and I started to vocalize with the singing bowls. And um, it was a little bit uncomfortable. And as you can understand, Tracy, because it's very vulnerable, right? Um, And so we got to actually the place that we were going, we decided to continue. And we ended up at a lavender farm, which there you go, right? So I've got aromatherapy, sound therapy. So all of the senses, it was a beautiful, but tragic experience. Because when we're talking about emotion, there are essential oils and smells that are tied to that, that olfactory sits right next to the limbic system. There's some other things that I teach is aromatherapy. And I have used essential oils for 30 years. Before they were cool, I was getting into them thanks to my grandmother. And so some of that went into play. But when I had a chance and I came home, I didn't take a bowl with me, but I used the aromatherapy and the vocalization. I had a moment where I decided to really do everything that I had been trained in. And as I vocalized the sounds of the trauma, I felt it release. My tone shifted halfway through and a reframing occurred where I saw it from a different vantage point, not from my passenger seat in the car, but from a higher perspective. And with that higher perspective and understanding it, it it was actually a really spiritual experience. I was able to reframe that and see that no one was alone at that moment. That even though it looked like he was alone, he was not alone. And his ascent was glorious and beautiful. The people who had hit him and had witnessed that were not alone. And neither were my husband and I. And so I think part of that was a true connection and seeing with through the eyes of my spirit, but also my heart and processing where every body part, every dimension of our being comes together. And it can be a beautiful experience. And instead of dreading closing your eyes at night for fear that it will show up again, you lay down in gratitude. And so that was my personal experience with sound therapy. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And also thank you for sharing with us about your father and that his death date is coming up. That is sacred and special. These people are important in our lives and they are the reasons why we're here. So we must be great. Absolutely. Tell us about the 2022 Family Wellness Forum launch event on January 20th. Yes. Well, for more information, uh, you can visit the website edenslastingwellness.com. That's my website. 
the my company is Eden's Essence, and the program is Lasting Foundational Wellness and the Seven Steps to Take You There. These are classes that I have taught at the clinic, and it is basically well, the first class will just be an overview. What is integrated health? What you know? How do we? What does it look like? What is DNA? What are those principles or those myomarkers and the connection and learning to find the patterns between the body, mind, and spirit. When you can find a pattern in one place, you can impose, superimpose that pattern in another. For example, we we talked about a cut and that if we cleaned it out, detoxification, applied a something soothing or a healing or even a bandage, right? The natural part of the body would adapt or change. So that's that DNA model. Then we moved into the mental emotional realm. So uncovering toxic inner pollution, if you will, and moving that out. But you can even take that into a spiritual realm because most spiritual paths begin with a cleansing rite, ritual or ordinance. So really we have to be clean to be healed, body, mind, and spirit. An introduction to this forum is really learning how to connect the dots and what's available to us to help um, support in that journey. Whether we're talking detoxification, nourishment, water, all of those things. Oftentimes when I work with clients, they have said to me, oh, I wish my son or daughter could hear this or be here for this or I wish that my family would help support me in this journey. And so my husband and I, who is my favorite person in the world to teach with, and we've taught in many capacities, decided that we would join forces. So I kind of take, I can be a little bit clinical and I can be a little bit textbook. And he is the perfect balance that will make it real and keep it real And he's a brilliant man. He's my favorite person. And I love to teach with him. And so we decided to join forces and to teach this forum monthly on the seven steps. That's awesome. You guys, I'm going to have all that information as well with the address. It's going to be in Kaysville on January 20th at 7 p.m. So if you are interested at all, you can also look in the show notes for those details. Thank you so much for what you've taught us. You are a treasure. And if you guys want to get foot zoned by Jennifer or what's the best way? Yes, for- I, I have my schedule on there. Wellness coaching, foot zone therapy. I also have an office at the Advanced Health Clinic in Farmington where I help them with medically supervised detox and weight loss protocols. So either, you know, the Advanced Health Clinic in Farmington Um, I'm there one day a week or um, I have a home office where I coach. Awesome. Thank you so much. And is there anything that I missed asking you that you wanted to say? Just breathe and it's all light. Just gather light wherever you can. Body, mind, and spirit. We are here to gather light. And I believe we are to pull heaven here. Oftentimes we want to escape. We remember somewhere else, but really I think the sum and bonum of our existence is to pull it here and to claim not only our, this beautiful vessel and to walk in confidence and in the power of knowing who we are, but also understanding how this body works and how it's connected to our 
emotions and to our spirits. And how do I do that? And, and how do I teach my children how to do that? It's a generational work and it's fascinating. And I'm just grateful for this opportunity to share. Thank you, Tracy.